The Scriptures Fulfilled. That's the title of this devotional, too. And it's all about, it's December. We're looking at the 25 days leading up to Christmas. Traditionally, this season is known as Advent. You, we, use that, we don't use that word a whole lot in church, but you might use it when you've got something in your house that we call an Advent calendar that helps count down the days to Christmas. And the word Advent simply means arrival. And it means this, this season of expectation of when the Christ child is going to be born and, and preparing our hearts for the arrival of the newborn King Jesus. And so all month long, we're going to be looking at the scripture, particularly at how Jesus fulfilled all of the Old Testament scriptures about the coming Messiah. And so that's going to be our series this month. And we're going to start this week with part one of this series, uh, looking at Isaiah chapter two. And, and in this series, we're looking at Advent and this idea that we're going to reflect and we're going to reenact the story of the people of Israel who for hundreds of years have been praying, hoping, expecting, and prophesying about a coming Messiah who would rescue them from oppression. So every week we're going to look at, and every day in this devotion, we're going to look at an Old Testament prophecy, an ancient word from God that was designed and, and spoken to, to build people's faith, to believe for the coming of the Messiah. And the story of Christmas is that God made good on every one of his promises when the baby Jesus was born. Amen? That Jesus, the long-expected Messiah, would be born in a manger in Bethlehem, and through his birth, his life, his ministry, his death, and his resurrection, Jesus fulfilled every one of the Old Testament prophecies about his coming. And so our theme the whole month is Jesus fulfills the scripture. In fact, in Luke 24, verse 44, Jesus said that the entire Old Testament, everything written by Moses, the law of Moses, the prophets, the Psalms, all of it was written about him and that it was his missions to fulfill everything that had been written about him. And the story of Christmas is a story of Jesus coming so that the scriptures, the ancient prophetic promises could be fulfilled. And I'm going to give you the, the punchline of the entire series from the very beginning. The next few weeks, the summary of the entire thing is that not only does Jesus fulfill all the scriptures about him, but he fulfills every desire, he meets every need, and he exceeds every expectation that you and I could have. And today we're looking at one point of those ancient prophecies in scripture in Isaiah 2, and I want you to stand with me as we read uh, God's word this morning, and then we'll pray and we'll get started. Isaiah chapter 2. God's word says, in days to come, the mountain of the Lord, of the Lord's house, shall be established as the highest of all the mountains, and it shall be raised above the hills, and all the nations shall stream to it. And many people shall come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction and the word of the Lord out of Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and he shall arbitrate for many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much that we get the opportunity over the next few weeks to look at your word and how 
the coming of your son, the birth of your son, the life of your son fulfills every promise that you've ever made to us. Lord, would you help us today look at this scripture, look at your tr- the truth of your word and see how Jesus has fulfilled every one of those promises. And Lord, would you allow peace to reign in our lives, in our hearts, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus, a man named Isaiah spoke prophetically of a day when the Lord would establish his kingdom over the entire earth. The government of his kingdom, he says, would be higher than any other government that's ever existed and any other ruler that's ever ruled. And he says that the nations would come flocking to this new kingdom, desiring to learn the ways of the Lord to follow in the Lord's paths. And Isaiah says that as the nations come to worship the Lord, to learn to follow his ways and learn to walk his paths, that they will begin to lay down their weapons of war. In this new kingdom, under this new king, war, Isaiah says, will no longer be a reality. So the nations, Isaiah says, they're going to take their swords and they're going to, they're going to get a blacksmith And they're going to beat and forge and mold those swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. In this famous passage, Isaiah paints the picture of the armies of the world, of the entire earth, coming before the Lord, laying their weapons down at his feet, taking their implements that were used to kill and transforming them into tools that were used to cultivate, to grow, and to give life. And they'll, they'll take their swords, and it says they'll turn them into plowshares. If you're a farmer, a plowshare is the part of the plow that actually does the cutting in the ground. And it says they'll take their spears, and they'll turn them into pruning hooks. A pruning hook is a, is a curved blade on the end of a long staff, and it's used typically in grape orchards or or in vineyards, excuse me, to to prune back the new growth to facilitate fruitfulness in those grapes. And so these, these nations, it says, entering into the kingdom of God, coming to follow after the Lord, they will no longer need weapons that were designed to kill and destroy life, but instead they will forge them into agricultural tools used to produce food and sustain human life. If you were to put this prophecy into modern day language, you might say something like, they'll take their tanks and transform them into tractors. They'll take their missile silos and they'll transform them into grain silos. He's saying that the things that the nations have used to destroy life, when they come to worship the Lord, when the nations uh, come to follow God's ways and God's paths, that they will no longer need those weapons of warfare and they will instead need tools that will cultivate life and growth and nourishment. And so Isaiah, he's writing a prophecy as a Jewish man who has seen his own nation, his own people, become victims of war and violence time and time again. He's writing as a Jewish man who knows the Scriptures and knows the history of his people. He knows that violence has plagued mankind ever since Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve fell from, from, from favor with God and then their son killed their other son in, in Genesis chapter 4 out of jealousy. He's writing as a Jewish man who knows the wickedness and the, the warfare and violence of mankind that led God to destroy the earth in Noah's flood. 
He's writing as a Jewish man who knows the story of his people who were enslaved by the wicked Pharaoh in Egypt. He knows the history of his people Israel that had been torn apart by civil war after King David's death and after King Solomon's death. And he's seen his people torn apart even to the point where now they're entirely two different kingdoms. And Isaiah's prophesying, setting before the nation of Israel, and he's saying there's a different way to live life. There's a different way. There's a new path, a new option, a new way of life. And he says in his scripture, he says, come with me. Come with me on this new way of life. Come with me on this new path. We've been walking the war path for too long. There's a new path. There's a new way. Let's go to God with our wars. Let's go to God with our weapons and our destruction. We need him to teach us his ways. We need to learn his paths. Come, let's let's walk. Let's go to the Lord. Let's go to Jesus. Let's go to God and take all our mess to him. See, for centuries, the nation of Israel had been longing for peace. Longing for peace. We all long for peace. They had been hoping. They had been praying desperate for the wars and violence to stop. They had seen other nations come in and oppress them and and put them into slavery and and kill innocent people. And, And, you know, in our culture... We tend to glorify war. We tend to romanticize war. We tend to sanitize and whitewash war. We turn it into something romantic. We love to see images, and I, I so appreciate our veterans and people who have, who have fought for our country, but we romanticize war so much that we love to see those images of the soldier returning home to kiss the girl who was waiting for him. And we love to see the video clips of the father coming home from war and surprising his children when he gets home. And we love John Wayne movies. I love John Wayne movies where the American hero always wins the war. And it's part of our culture as a nation to celebrate our victories, to visit the memorials, to rest on our laurels of the battles that we have won. But that's not the whole story of war. War is not romantic. It is not a story that always ends happily ever after. It's brutal. It's gory. It is God's creation destroying God's creation. It's man created in God's image killing another man created in God's image. Famous Civil War General William Tecumseh Sherman was quoted He was giving a speech to cadets graduating from military school. And he was saying in his speech, if you read the whole one, he says, some of you will be tempted to look forward to the next war. But this is what he says. He says, you don't know the horrible aspects of war. I've been through two wars, and I know. I've seen cities and homes in ashes. I've seen thousands of men lying on the ground, their dead faces looking up at the skies. I tell you, war is hell. And even though our culture tends to glorify violence, that glorification stops when a mother's kissing her son goodbye to go and serve. It's no longer romantic. It ends when that father hugs his children for maybe the last time when he ships out. So even when the world seems to glorify violence in entertainment and video games and media and even our history books, We all know that really war is an awful reality of life. That deep within all of us is the same cry of a nation, a longing for peace. A longing for war to stop. A cry for violence to end, for love to prevail, for war to cease, for peace to reign. But peace has seemed to always be just outside 
of the reach of humanity. Ever since Cain killed Abel in Genesis chapter 4, peace has seemed to be elusive from humanity. It's been a great ideal worth pursuing, but something we're never quite sure how to really achieve. Another general of the U.S. Army, he was uh, named Omar Bradley. He was a general during World War II and Korean War, one of the top army officials during those two wars. And he once wrote this. He said, our world is a world of nuclear giants and ethical infants. We know more about war than we know about peace, more about killing than we know about living. And the prevailing logic throughout human history is that peace must be achieved through war. That one nation conquering another nation will restore peace. That one person dominating another person will establish peace. That one race oppressing another race by force will create racial harmony. But the truth is that war never wins peace. War never wins peace. If you're a student of history, you can look back at the last several uh, hundred years, how one war eventually led to the next war, how World War I caused World War II. You can just watch how World War II caused the Cold War. You can see in history, war begets war. Violence begets violence. It may achieve a temporary ceasefire, but it never truly achieves peace. Because peace cannot be won through war. War is born from personal or national self-seeking, self-interest, and self-aggrandizement. And the heart of war is, at the heart of war, is a sin of idolatry and selfishness. And I promise you I'm going somewhere. It's going to get down to you here in just a minute. Until the self is conquered, war remains unconquered. So Isaiah is writing about a people who have been longing for peace, but have never learned how to actually achieve peace. And his answer to the problem is not to just keep fighting until you give up. The answer to his problem is to go to the mountain of the Lord. To go to one who will one day lead people to lay down their weapons for all time. Isaiah is called the Christmas prophet because there's so many of his the passages in the book of Isaiah that we use and we see in the Christmas season that, that Christmas carols like it came upon a midnight clear and a little town of Bethlehem that we get lyrics from the, the prophet Isaiah. He's called the Christmas prophet because he tells of a day when God himself will dwell among his people and he He will teach us his ways and we will follow in his paths. And when he arrives, peace will come with him. So when Christ was born 2,000 years ago, the angels proclaimed to the shepherds, glory to God in the highest and what? Peace on earth to men. Isaiah wrote in another prophecy in chapter 9, he says, for unto us a child has been born. Authority rests on his shoulders and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and listen, Prince of Peace. And he says, his authority shall grow continually and there shall be endless peace. Amen. This was not just cute poetry. This was not just a nice line that God wanted us to include in holiday carols. The angels meant it. 
Isaiah meant it, that the arrival of Christ means an arrival of a new way of life, a way of living that disengages from the violence of the world, that disengages from war, and instead chooses a life of peace, worshiping the Prince of Peace, and walking down the path of peace. And Jesus, God in the flesh, He comes and He teaches us His ways. He shows us His light and He leads us in His path. And He is peace personified. He is perfection of peace. He is the example that we follow. So when He begins His teaching ministry, He says things like this. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. He says, you have heard it said, you shall not murder. But I say, even if you were angry with a brother or a sister, that you might be liable for judgment. He says, if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to them the left cheek. If anyone forces you to give them their shirt, give them their coat too. Love your enemies, Matthew 5, 44. Do to others as you would have them do to you, Matthew 7, 12. And Jesus didn't just see, say these things. He wasn't just a preacher. He lives these principles of peace. When the guard comes to arrest Jesus in the garden, Simon, Pier Simon Peter draws his sword ready to fight on behalf of his teacher, and he cuts a man's ear off. But what does Jesus say when Peter does that? He says, hey, Peter, put your sword away. In fact, look at it. Matthew 26, 52, he says, put your sword back in its place, for all those who take the sword will die by the sword. In the last few hours of his life, Jesus puts into practice everything he has taught us about peace in his ministry. When his followers desire to fight for his sake, he calls for peace. When the Roman soldiers strike him, he doesn't retaliate. He practices turning the other cheek. When he is beaten, abused, and crucified, he never complains. He never curses his assailants. He never cries out an accusation against those who are attacking him. Isaiah prophesied later in, in chapter 53 that the Christ would be like a lamb led to the slaughter. Like a sheep before its shears, silent, he would not open his mouth. And with his dying breath, Christ showed us what true enemy love really is. As men are unjustly murdering an innocent man, that innocent man prays for their souls, prays for their forgiveness. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Christmas is all about the coming of a new way of life, a way of life where we lay down our weapons of war, where war finally ceases, where violence finally stops, where men live up to the scriptural command that so far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Humanity's been longing for peace for thousands of years. Christmas is about the arrival of peace. Jesus shows us the way of peace. Now, the truth is, most of us in this room, we're not in fighting in any literal wars with tanks or missile silos. We aren't using swords or spears. We're not manning Navy destroyers or stealth bombers. But you and I are fighting wars. What wars are you fighting? With whom is your heart at war? Maybe your heart's at war with a spouse. Maybe there's a son or a daughter, a brother or a sister that you're waging war with. 
Maybe there's a war going on in your own heart. War against your worst demons. Battling against your best angels. Fighting within your own mind and your own emotions. And you may not be wielding a sword, but the words you use towards your wife or your husband, they cut like a knife. You may not be using firearms in your fight with a loved one, but your silence, your rejection, your detachment, it feels like a gunshot wound to the chest. The home that's supposed to be a safe place for your family has become a battleground. And we know there's nothing romantic about those kind of wars. And you can say, yeah, preacher, those are some great ideals to live up to, but that's not reality. That's not literally how life works. Peace isn't always possible, and it's definitely not possible in my family. Peace isn't possible in my marriage. Peace isn't possible in the world that we live in. And isn't it funny that we as Bible-believing Christians, we love to talk about how this book is the literal Word of God until we get to that part about turning the other cheek. That this book is the literal Word of God until we get to that verse about loving your enemies. Until we, it's the literal word of God until we read about laying down your swords and your shield and your spears. No, if it's the literal word of God, if it's the inspired scripture, then everything Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount about loving your enemies, about turning the other cheek, about doing unto others, about, about self-sacrifice, about taking up your cross, about, about surrendering, all of that is also God's word. And all of that he expects us as Christians to live by. A lot of people that say they believe in the Word of God, but when it gets to those particular scriptures, oh, I, he didn't mean that. Yeah, he did. He expected you to lay down your weapons of war and to walk in peace. He expected us as the church to enact peace to bring the kingdom of God onto the earth. And what does that kingdom look like? It looks like a kingdom where the nations come and bring their weapons and say, we're not going to learn war anymore. We're going to walk in peace. And I'm just crazy enough to believe that Jesus meant the words that he said. I've got just enough faith to believe that we can actually lay down our weapons of warfare, our sword and our spears, our cutting words, our backstabbing actions, that we can lay them all down. We can stop studying war and we can start studying peace. And you say, what does that mean, studying war? I'll tell you what studying war means. Before you get home, you're cooking up <laughs> what you're going to say when you get home. That's studying war. After the fight's over and you go back and you, can't, you, you couldn't get a comeback when you're in the middle of the fight, but you think about it later and you say, oh, I'm tucking that in my pocket for later when it comes up again. That's studying war. That's focusing your mind on the warfare between you and that loved one, between you and that boss, between you and that co whatever it might be. And he's saying, no, no, no. What, if you're going to follow Jesus, you have to change the path you're walking on. No longer are we on the war path. We're on the path of peace. You can live. I can live that way. We can really walk the way of peace. We can really follow the Prince of Peace. We can see the world around us transform by the peace that passes all understanding. I can't control what they're doing at the Pentagon and the White House, but you know what? You and I, one life at a time that chooses to get off the war path and onto the path of peace, you can see a world changed and transformed. And I believe... The scriptures 
for thousands of years have spoken of a day when peace will reign in the hearts of God's people. And I believe that for us here at Believers Fellowship, Christmas means that that day has arrived. There are two types of peace that Christmas brings. Number one, peace with your neighbor. Peace with your neighbor. How do we live at peace with our neighbor? By living out the teachings of Christ in everyday life. By practicing loving our enemies and praying for them. By dying to ourselves and living in Christ. By self-sacrifice. By turning the other cheek. By not returning harsh words for more harsh words. But not, by not returning evil for evil. By laying aside an eye for an eye and instead picking up do unto others. And ultimately, this comes down to a choice. In 1971, John Lennon wrote a war protest song that he cloaked in a Christmas carol. Happy Christmas. You guys know that one? So this is Christmas. Yeah? I'm not going to sing the rest of it, okay? It's now a classic Christmas song. And in that, John Lennon, I know he's got an interesting history, but I believe he picked up the mantle of the prophet Isaiah when he wrote this song because if you ever listen to it the words it's more than a Christmas song he sings the lyrics John is singing and he says a very merry Christmas and a happy new year let's hope it's a good one without any fear and you know what the kids are singing in the background that children's choir they're singing war is over if you want it war is over now He's singing this beautiful, like, you think it's just a cheerful Christmas song, but in the background there's children. War is over if you want it. War is over now. Go home, listen to it on your way home on Spotify. The first step to peace in your life is wanting it. It's the willingness to go with the nations in Isaiah's prophecy to the feet of King Jesus and to lay down those sharp words, to lay down those battleground behaviors. Choosing instead to use your words and your actions to cultivate growth rather than as weapons to destroy or cut down. War is over if you want it. War is over now. So Christmas, if we want it, can bring peace with our neighbor. But secondly, Christmas, if you want it, can bring you peace with God. The Apostle Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 1 that before we come to Christ, we are enemies with God. Before you and I are become Christians, before we put our faith in Christ, before we're forgiven of our sins, the Bible says that our hearts were at war with our Creator, that we were separated from Him, that we were doing battle with the One who created us and loved us. But remember, He's the Prince of Peace that loves His enemies. So even if we were enemies with God, he still loved us. And Paul goes on to say that Christ on the cross offered forgiveness of sins, that when we come to him in faith, uh, and we come to him, uh, the record of enmity, the record of our sin, the record of the war between you and God is erased by the blood of Jesus on the cross. Paul writes in Ephesians, he says that even though we were once far off from God in Christ, we have been brought near because Ephesians 2.14 says he is our peace. Christmas isn't just about peace with your neighbor. It's not just about an ideal of peace sometime in the future. It's about having peace with God. You and I can be at war with God. You and I could be separated from God. 
And you might not use words like war with God or enemies of God, but you know you're not living for him. You've been running from him. You've been doing everything you can to get away from him and his, his purposes for your life. But the scripture says that even when you haven't, Christ has already called a ceasefire. He's already provided for peace in your life and in your heart.